Welcome to Draft Sickos on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host, Maxwell Baumbach, and today I am joined by Dan Purcell, formerly of the New Orleans Pelicans and now the president of Scout Central. Dan, how are you doing today? Great. That that theme, I feel like a wrestling theme right there. I'm ready to go out and exactly. you know, wrestle John Cena. <laughs> me, me and Steven are big wrestling guys, so Corey hooked it up with that theme. He found that one, and I was like, that's that's the one right there. We got to roll with it. So That is the theme. Uh, There's no doubt about it. That is the right one. <laughs> so for people who, who might not be familiar with you, we've had you on the No Ceilings uh, channel before on the podcast feed. You've done shows with Corey and Albert. We're, we're big fans of the work that you do, especially just the, the work that you put on the ground, going to all these practices, all these games, everything like that. So for people who might not be familiar with you, maybe they're newer to, to following the draft scene. They're just diving in now that we're after the all-star break. Um, can you tell people a little bit about your, your background and what you do in the basketball world? Sure. Uh, yeah, I was with the Pelicans for, I don't know, nine, 10 years, somewhere in there. Um, did a lot of stuff and learned a lot of things from a, re- a lot of really smart people, right? Mm-hmm. And then I took, obviously, what I had learned through the years. Um, I played in college. Wasn't very good. I'm not going to sit here and act like I was good. I wasn't. I, I was actually having dinner with my uh, college coach uh, two or three nights ago. And, uh, you know, he was trying to talk me up. And I'm like, coach, I shouldn't even been on the floor. I don't know how you play. Like, you're, you're lucky I didn't mess it up more. Um, so, you know, and then, um, you know, I was on the AAU scene or, you know, a spring circuit scene uh, before EYBL and whatnot. I had the largest. Uh, uh, you know, spring summer uh, group in Louisiana at the time. I'm originally from Cleveland and uh, had guys like Thon Maker on my uh, lower end team on the eighth grade team and whatnot. So um, just been around a lot of guys, been around a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, just still, you know, pedaling it to the grind now with uh, Scout Central, which is um company I formed and we, you know, provide scouting services for uh, NBA teams. So if you follow me uh, either on X or um, Instagram, you'll always I always try to post where I am so that people can kind of keep up with uh, where I'm at because I am all over. Yeah, as you've seen. Yeah, no kidding. You're telling me about your your schedule in the week, uh, kind of leading up to this, and I, I just appreciate yeah. you carving out the time with everything that you have going on. So always a pleasure to hear you and, and pick your brain. And with that, I wanted to pick your brain uh, on somebody who is at the top of my draft board that is not at the top of your draft board. Uh, who is Alex Saar, the seven foot one center uh, from France, who is playing in the NBL this season uh, for the Perth Wildcats. Uh, you had a tweet the other day, and it was something you talked about, Corey, with on the show uh, yeah. when you were on the, the podcast feed previously, um, basically saying that, that you do not think uh, you should have him number one in this class. So I like Alex Saar. So I'm going to kind of give my piece, and you can kind of give yours. So with, with Alex Saar, I see a guy who is seven foot one, seven five wingspan, mobile, good body to fill out, can really put it on the deck, um, solid decision maker. You know, obviously not a point center. He's not Nikola Jokic, but makes good decisions with the ball. Very confident in his jump shot. He's become an increasingly assertive offensive player, um, able to blow by guys like Mitch Creek off the dribble, which is something you don't see a lot out of the big spot. And on defense, just quick laterally protects the rim. Got to get stronger. Uh, would be lying if I'd say I'm not concerned about the rebounding a little bit. Uh, but he's a guy that I, I think is kind of made for the modern NBA. And when I look at Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren, I don't think he's in a class with those guys. But I do think the fact that we know that there are going to be a lot of NBA teams going forward that are going to play five out 
on offense with those young stars in the NBA, having a big man who can do those sort of things and potentially slide to play some four if the perimeter offensive skills come along. Like that to me is really appealing. And in a draft with um, a little bit of uncertainty at the top, I'm kind of kind of drawn to a guy where I see that sort of uh, safety, but also just a necessary skill set with with where the league is going. Um, why, and you are still high on Alex, sorry, you still like Alex, sorry, quite right. the best player is the conversation that we have, but why do you think he, he kind of shouldn't be number one at this stage in the process? Yeah, let's, uh, I want to make sure again, cause there's a lot of people that half listen, right. And exactly. I want to make sure yeah. I'm very clear <laughs> on where I stand with Alex. Sar. So I, it, I like Alex, Sar. it's not a matter of, I hate him and I hope he just drowns in the draft, you know, <laughs> abyss. That's, that's not, that's not you it at all. I, you have him high on your I do. I have him top five. It's not a ma- on my big board, right? I'm not going in order of what the records are right now. Just I have my own top 75 that I adjust every, you know, 30 days, 45 days. Um, I would like I would love to say that it never changes, but this this draft is so wide open. It doesn't I, I don't know that um, I don't know that it's not going to change like 10 more times. Sure. sure. So I, I, all those things you said about SAR, I I'm on board. I think he's a, a really good player. I, I, where I struggle. And again, this is where maybe I differ from everyone else. I'm not sure his ceiling is higher than many of these other top five, top eight guys mm-hmm. in terms of, it's kind of like you kind of get what you get with him. Yeah. He can fill out. There's no doubt. He can get stronger. No doubt. Maybe he can get, you know, a little better finishing, Sure. Like he can do all of that. Right. That's one of the things I always talk about when people ask me about um, where I where how do I want to choose guys? Well, it's how much can I control compared to how much do they control? Right. If I can control the skill development, the plan, the playing time, the coach, if I'm a front office guy and there's no coach or if we have one that's in place, not control per se, but work with so you can get different, you know, minute rotations, lineups, et cetera, et cetera. If you can have that, then I'm going to take, probably take that guy, right? Somebody I can control a little more who has a lot of raw stuff, if not um, measurables to go with it, if it's a tie, right? So Sar, I'm a big fan. It's not like I don't like him, but if you're going to be the number one pick, your upside has to be really good. And I, you have to change the game somehow for me. We talk about big men that were drafted first, second, or third, right? We'll just say top three. Mm-hmm. These are the names that start coming out. And I want you to, you can play this little game with me and really start to think about, did these guys change the impact of their team? And did defense have to change the way they play them? Victor Wembenyama, mm-hmm. yep. absolutely, they have to change. Zion Williamson, absolutely have to change. Blake Griffin, absolutely had to change. Dwight Howard had to change. Shaq, Akeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing. We can keep going. David Robinson. Um, You know, we can keep going with this exercise, and you find ultimately that the bigs that are drafted and have the most success in their careers, because if you're drafted number one or two, you're supposed to be a franchise player. You're supposed to be the guy who's going to be there for 10 more years or at least get to the third contract and sign it like Jalen Brown and be there for a long time, right? And that means your ceiling's super high. You're anchoring the team. And I'm not sure that Alex Sar is an anchor to a team. I can't say if you put him on the Washington Wizards today that everybody in the league is, is going to go, oh my God, we got to change the way we play because he's killing us in the short roll or 
he's killing us in, you know, high pick and rolls or they're doing, you know, they're doing a thing where he's on the second side and it's step ups like and he's, you know, killing it on the short roll on step ups or he's really getting to the rim and exploding over defenders and like moving around defenders on the finish without, you know, getting charges. And, you know, I'm just these little things add up over the possessions. There's so many possessions now in the NBA. And also, I don't know that he's a threat from the outside. So if I'm if other teams aren't really game planning for him, for example, when you play the Spurs, if you were to play the Spurs tomorrow, what's the first thing you're saying? How do we how do we contain Wemby? What do we have to do? Can we just limit his ability to get to the rim around the rim? Can we just do that and maybe stop everyone else? Right. Maybe we stop everybody else from scoring 20. Right. But he may get his just because he's so elite and he's just there's nothing we can do to stop it. Blake Griffin was the same way. He was the same way. You, he went into the league. He he was hurt. Remember that first year, yeah, and then he and then yeah. yeah, and then he comes back and literally changes the way bigs start playing in the league. Like and are defended, and then you have like people like Chet Holmgren. You know what I mean? Like I don't think you can sit here and say Alex Sar is better than Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. So like and and he was number number two pick. Yeah, he was the but he should have been. I mean, he could have been one or two. Yeah, it could have been either. So. This is where my, you know, some, I actually heard over the weekend, somebody said to me, you know, I don't really believe in comps. Uh, I actually think that you're doing yourself a disservice from a, a, a research standpoint, if you say yeah. that, because it's just research. You're trying to find commonalities Sometimes you're trying to find ways that guys impact the game different. And I don't think Alex Sar is going to do that. I don't think he's going to come in one day, on day one and be the main guy. Like when Cade Cunningham got drafted, we all knew, we all know who, who, the, who Detroit's building around. Yeah, I think I think what I would push back with is I would say that the biggest thing ultimately in any draft is you're you're picking who's there. And for sure. me, I still look at Alex R and I, I still think he's <laughs> I just think he's more interesting than a lot of these guys. I think the issue there's there's some sort of issue that kind of ha- gives me hang up with a lot of these other players. And we're gonna focus a lot on other guys at the top of the draft, uh kind of throughout this episode. Um, but for me, the thing I come back to with SAR is and we talk about comps and comparisons he's not like too dissimilar from where a guy like evan mobley was in terms of his production at usc they obviously ran a little bit more through him so his assist numbers were a little bit higher um, his usage rate was higher as if um, off the top of my head higher. if i remember yep. correctly yeah yep and um yeah the, the role is obviously a little bit different he's coming off the bench uh in perth uh whereas mobley was obviously a starter um with Sar, he probably has more insulation. Like if he's having a game where he's not doing that well, it's not the end of the world where, where Mobley had to be the anchor of that defense. Um, probably a little bit more consistent as both a passer um, and as a perimeter defender than Sar. Uh, but I think that Sar is a much more assertive offensive player. And I think especially when it comes to his jump shot and being willing to take the three, the fact that they're taking around the same number of threes uh, per game in their pre-draft season and Sar is doing that in much less playing time, I think is interesting. So to me, it's like, if I can get somebody similar to Evan Mobley, even if I liked Evan Mobley a bit more coming out, like I, I don't hate that in this class. I would, I love to get the guy that I think can change everything. Sure. I'm not sure that guy's there. Uh, but I think, I think SAR could be better than what else is on the table. At sure. this point, it's kind of where and, I'm at with him. And, and, and I, I see where you're going with that. I don't disagree with you at all. I think, you know, Mobley's solid, but Mobley was the fourth fourth pick in the draft. I think he went fifth three. Is it three? I can't remember off the top of my head. Jalen Green was two, which 
Okay. I'd say you take, you take that one back. But well, even yeah. if you really watch Mobley right now, mm-hmm. there's the Cavs are doing a very interesting thing, and they went on a 18 and two. I don't know. They were six, 16 and two, I think, mm-hmm. without Garland and Mobley in the lineup. I think it was 16, might have been 15 and two. I can't, 15 and one. I can't remember exactly. Cause I, cause Garland came back uh, a little yeah, bit ago and then Mobley came back. Hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're, they've been doing a really interesting thing. They'll start those two guys, but then they never play together again the rest of the game. And why is that? Why, if Evan Mobley, and I like Evan Mobley again, I think mm-hmm. he's, I, I think he's, he needs to, there's going to have to be something that happens next year because he has too much talent yeah, to not, not to not to not well to not play the way he can play. There's something there's a disconnect there because he could actually be way better, in my I opinion. I, I don't think he's again. That's part of the process. He's still on his first contract. Like we'll let him get it right. But the lineups that are actually coming with the Cavs, and I'll, I'll see how this all connects. But like, mm-hmm. well, I'll show, I'll show how it connects. But you know, the Cavs are actually better with him off the floor and having Jared Allen, and then their their second best lineup is then him at center and Allen off the floor. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting argument, Evan Mobley, when he now on our sample size, I don't think he's been as good as he a could be and yeah. B should be mm-hmm. right. And so if, if SAR, if that, I'm just using that as our example, if that's SAR, if that's, if that's SAR, that's scary at one. That's scary I, I to agree. me at one. I don't think Evan, Evan Mobley in this draft may go one. I still think he goes two or probably three in this draft still. And I like Evan Mobley. Like I, I really like him. His talents through the roof. I wish he would be a way more efficient and I wish he would stop being gun shy because he can shoot that thing and he rarely shoots it. Right. His form's great. His when, if you actually look at his splits, like it screams, shoot more threes, right? It literally screams, shoot more threes. And um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing you said with Mobley is yeah. Sar. I think I don't think Sars is honestly I don't think he's as good as Mobley because Mobley can shoot and he can't. It's just Mobley doesn't shoot right. He doesn't he doesn't shoot threes. Whereas Sar I don't think Sars is going to be as good of a shooter as Mobley could be. But then yeah. Mobley's not taking it, taking mm-hmm. them enough to make us think oh Mobley's a really good shooter right. But if yeah. you look at his splits, they they scream you should shoot more threes and get more volume up because you're actually going to be a better better and more efficient player. It's very interesting how his profile shapes up. Um, but I, but I get what you're saying. And I, I listen, I like Mobley again. I like Sar. I, I like Sar. I think if, if the Wizards are sitting there at three or four, that's a no brainer. It's a, an absolute no brainer for them to take Sar if he's sitting there. If I'm Detroit, San Antonio, you definitely can't. If San Antonio gets the first pick, there's, why would you draft the same guy at the same position as the guy you did before? You're doing Sar a disservice. They can't play together. You're just, you're, you're asking for trouble, right? You're just asking for trouble. But Detroit is very interesting. Um, as we go down the teams, right now we're looking yeah. at where we're at on the teams. Detroit has Jalen Duran. Is that Duran is exactly the type of guy Monty likes? Like it is exactly the guy that Monty likes at the big. He, yeah, he needs to get a little better defensively, and he's a little slow to rotate. And, but he's still only in his what second year in the league. Mm-hmm. Like he's and young, he, young. He's he way young. yeah, and he's way ahead of the curve. So would the Pistons really want to say, hey, you know, we're going to take Sar and just what do you do to Dern at that point? You you literally, if you take Sar one and you still have Jalen Dern on your team, the value of Dern has just plummeted because it's like everybody knows that he's on discount because they have to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Or do you play him together, but then you're taking minutes away from Sar? You see what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, you start, I get that. You start diving into this and it's like, well, if I'm Washington, yeah, all day. I mean, mm-hmm. if I'm Washington at one, yeah, 
I mean, why not in this draft? Why not make it? Why not make Sar number one? Sure, I could see yeah. that. I think where I feel more optimistic about Sar compared to Mobley, and this is the last thing we'll do on him, is that Sar. So Mobley was a thirty percent three point shooter in college and sixty nine percent the line on one point two a game. Sar is a twenty nine point eight percent. So percentage wise, they're real close, but he's taking two a game. And I just think the fact that he's a little bit more assertive and like the sure. indicators are close form wise, I probably felt better about Mobley at the time in terms of just mechanics and the consistency of it. But mm-hmm. I don't, I I'm a little bit more confident in Sar shooting it at, at some point. I think one guy who we know can shoot it though is, is Reed Shepard. So Ooh, let's, let's talk about Reed Shepard a little bit. Threw me a curve. I thought we were going with my man Jacoby, but okay. We, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll go read. No, no, okay, please go read. Go read. Please, because I was getting burned by this. People were saying I'm crazy that I wouldn't touch him. But go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So let's talk about Reed Shepard. Reed Shepard is having a ridiculous season. He's shooting 50% from three on over four a game. Uh, It was a lot of let's see what's going to happen when conference play gets here. He's still shooting 50% from three in conference play. Um, A little bit less production inside the arc. He's one of those guys that everybody has a really strong take on for the most part. Some people that I've talked to are like, I wouldn't touch him top 20 uh, just because of the body, whatever. Other people say, hey, this production is so ridiculous. He's top three. Um, where do you kind of settle on on this 6'2 Kentucky guard that is just producing like crazy and having this obscene defensive output and makes good decisions with the ball and can really shoot it? But hey, maybe athletically, he doesn't doesn't totally look the part. What do you, what do you see in Reed Shepard right now? So first off, kudos to Reed Shepard because I know he works his tail off. and He's, you know, Everything I've heard, he's a really good kid, right? And kudos to him for being able to start the season where nobody thought he was even remotely in this draft no. to guys having him, like you said, top four, top three, but I don't know, I somewhere in there, right? Yep. So kudos to him. Like, I want to make sure, like, that's that's awesome that a guy has done that, right? I Coach Cal even said he's super surprised at it. Like, he even said this. Mm. I didn't see this coming. So there's a couple things just my in my mind that I start with, right? One, the Kentucky system benefits him extremely like it tilts it, it plays right into his strengths, right? So he's gotten better, which is the first thing. Second thing is the system is so guard heavy and it gets him into spots that are really really good and then Cal's even starting to run some him off screens a little bit to where he's able to get even a little more space, right? So I appreciate what he's doing. I ran some numbers. I knew I was coming on. So I wanted to run a a few advanced numbers here, right? So I first did it against NBA guys in the last three seasons. Um, I won't get too much in the weeds of exactly what it was. I did like half-court offense, transition, ISO, PNR, spot up, at the rim, catch and shoot, all that stuff, right? And then we put some weight to it and averaged it out. His box scores, if you look at them, from an NBA standpoint, are Grayson Allen. Like, they are almost identical. I'm literally almost to the number identical over the last three seasons of Grayson Allen compared to Reed Shepard this year. It, that's pretty good. Grayson Allen's a starter, one of the best shooters in the league, right? Mm-hmm. So if we did that now filtered on guys his size, because Grayson Allen's about six four and a half, almost 6'5". Yeah, six, and, five. and like bulky, too. Right. A different body. This is where it gets this is where it gets interesting, right? On paper, he looks exactly like Grayson Allen. But we all know that Grayson Allen is a much more physical, bigger shooter, right? Like and he yeah. and he can he creates separation in the paint 
with his physicality and then comes off the screen, right? If he's not getting the plus the the you know the um swing swing from Beal or Duran or you know whoever didn't, you know, on the front side, they didn't get it. So on the second side he's there. His NBA comps over the last three seasons, similar to size, Lonnie Walker and DeAnthony Melton. Similar in size, right? So we just went height, and that's pretty much where we went from there, right? He's yep. about six one and a half, six two. Some people have him at six four. It's not true. I've stood right next to him. He's not six four. So college now. Now we went into college comps, right? These are some of the names over the last three years that he starts being like Joshua Hamilton, Keith Dinwiddie. Alex, I don't know how to say it guys. Hubergress, Hubergress. I don't know how to say his name. These are not. Yeah, even ringing a bell. Bryce Fitzgerald, Cameron Barry. Like these are the names that we're starting to come with. The highest on you. You probably have the guy who's most known as Isaiah Stewart. Okay, and what's this based on? Because Isaiah Stewart's like a big. Is it like? It's a player. Let me see it here. It's an average of similarity. We called it between okay. me and my me and my advanced guy. So it's efficiency based on what these guys are, along with like all of the weighted things that I spoke about over the last three years. So we took single seasons from the last three years. So it's not so much the names that are on here; it's the fact that none of those names pop out. Like none of them are uh, pick anybody that was a shooter, right? You can we can we can take all these guys out that were sh- that were shooters, right? We can take Isaiah Stewart out, obviously, if you want to. But yeah. that's the only guy on this list that pops out as like a guy who played in the NBA or you know was an NBA project. So, like, it's all over. And that's what I'm trying to get with Reed is you have these Grayson Allen stats from a pro standpoint, which is great. But from a college standpoint, you don't really have anybody that has a similar statistical profile to him and that makes him kind of an anomaly right you if you i don't know if you remember but jimmer fredette had the same type of thing happen to him yeah but jimmer wasn't like block rate over five you know what i mean like block rate over two and a half no 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 like that's like that's some crazy stuff we're we're talking straight numbers we're yeah we're talking straight offense right now right just straight offense jimmer had this thing about him too right crazy shooter i mean jimmer is one of the best shooters ever i mean Shout out to Jimmer, great one of the greatest human beings ever, too. But um, as you dig into these offensive stats, because that's really where he's going to make his money, right? He's going to make his money. I, I don't know that his block rate is going to be able to stay that way in the sure, NBA. Sure. I just don't. I, I I think that's an anomaly to where we're at right now. So if we're going to pick him at three or four, we have to think best case he's Grayson Allen, even if doesn't have the physical profile of him. Or is he Lonnie Walker, DeAnthony Melton? And you want to say those those statistical categories, along with his size, he's six two. We'll call him. Mm-hmm. We want to take that four. What guys with that profile at that height and that physical base mm-hmm. have gone for three? Yeah, I think two. Can, How, yeah. Why is he? Why my question to you is why is he different than everybody that's come before him? How is he the one guy? He's the Steph Curry of this that is just changing lives and changing the game and changing his impact. Why is he that one guy in the last 25 years to do that? Yeah, I think the first thing I would probably point to would be his efficiency and volume as a three point shooter is like 
ridiculous. Uh, it's not super far off from where a guy like JJ Redick was as a freshman, mm -hmm. um, which again, JJ probably, I think, listed at 6'3 during his time at Duke, 6'4. JJ's 6'4, 6'5. Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, he's, he's smaller. Um, but I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I do think he's a really good quick decision maker. It's the other thing too. He does have an assist rate over 20 that I think would probably be quite a bit higher if he was a guy that uh, got to operate on the ball a little bit more than he does. He's playing in a system with multiple guards. Uh, so that's part of it as well. Um, but even just looking at like assist rate, BPM, uh, and some of those other numbers, like there's other good guards. Like he's not super far from like Peyton Pritchard from like an assist rate, uh, three point percentage standpoint. Um, Peyton Pritchard, which again, not, pick. not crazy, but, uh, again, like close to a guy like Brandon Pajemski, who's kind of moving the needle a little bit. Sure. Not far I, I like off. Pod. Again, body type different. Uh, but a guy like Jalen Brunson, if you look at like the synergy numbers, as far as like spot up efficiency, pick and roll ball handler efficiency, pretty similar They go about their business in entirely different ways. Uh, but speaking purely from a production standpoint, um, another guy I kind of wonder about in terms of role is someone like Mike Conley. Again, a guy who is stronger, much better on the interior, but is kind of as he's gotten older, turned into a guy that's a perimeter oriented three point shooter who can run a little bit of offense. Not usually your, your main guy that you're running everything to, but just a reliable decision maker, shooter and pesky on ball point guard defender. Like, I think that's kind of a path for him. And again, it just goes to here are the guys in this draft, like, do you want a guy who kind of resembles Laker or Mike Conley, or do you want a guy who you think might stink? If he's, <laughs> and I, if feel, he's, I feel pretty good about that. Like, I feel good about him compared to those guys. If and even he's like a Mike, guy like Jordan Hawkins. Like, Jordan Hawkins has had some moments this year. He's not stellar. Like, there's a reason that he's not in the rotation every night, and he's had to go back down to the G League. But just from a pure shooting standpoint, um, pretty similar and probably a much better on-ball defender than a guy like Hawkins. And Hawkins couldn't pass at all when he's chased off the line. Like that was a huge adjustment that he's going to have to make to be an effective NBA player. And the right. fact that Reed can already do that, it, it makes me feel like he's going to see the floor earlier than, than we might think and be pretty good. I mean, I hope so for him. Um, I, I just can't get on board with putting a top five. I think, and, and I'm, this is a very strong statement and you know, I hope I'm wrong. I, I do hope I'm wrong. I think anybody that drafts him in the top five is probably looking for a new job in two years. Wow. Interesting. Top five. Top five. I, I think you're asking for trouble. And it's not because I don't think he's going to be good or anything. It's it's the fact it's, it's number three pick. Like this, you can't, you have to take the upside guy. You yeah. have to take the size and the, like, if somebody were to take him over Cody Williams or Jacoby Walter, I'm sitting here stunned. Mm -hmm. stunned well, do you do you want to do let's do cody williams now then since you brought him oh up. good name and let's we'll talk do, about a guy we'll do, that we'll i, I love all right yeah so give me the cody <laughs> talk williams to me about cody because i like cody i wrote a column about cody earlier this year i think there's a that lot was really of, good like, tailor-made second side skills like ready to go i'm kind of weirded out by the fact he doesn't rebound at all i feel like sometimes mm -hmm. the game is just sort of happening around him and he can be a little bit passive so i i have cody like top seven he's been in that range for me for a long time but there's still times where I get a little bit scared. So give, give me the sell on like Cody Williams is a guy at a hundred percent take over some of these guys that we've talked about already. I mean, what really sold me on Kobe, I'm sorry, Cody, I think of Jacoby. Yeah, uh, sorry, Jacoby's. Uh, We're going to get to him later. Too. I know I'm excited. One of my favorites. So Cody, if you really look at it, the, the thing that's really 
you know, that's really impressed me is his three point percentage and his shooting this year because he's labeled as a non shooter. He's labeled as a guy who can only get to the cup and like his finishing around the rim is top top tier. It's this is what you need. And and the thing is about it, he comes from a very smart lineage. Guys who know how to play. His older brother obviously is one of the highest IQ guys in the league, right? Mm -hmm. And you know he's going to have some of those plays and develop them over time. So with that being known, his lineage is already really good. I know he's he's going to be a super smart kid regardless. He can get by guys. He can get to the paint, and he can float over anybody. He can get around just about any big in college basketball. You look at him in the Pac-12 when he played Arizona, like he's getting around those bigs or finishing over the top of them, and those are big boys there. Huge. They're not like 6'8". Six, <laughs> six, They're 7'2", seven, 7'. Mm-hmm. Seven. Like he did a good job of – getting to them and getting to their, you know, right in front of where they were going to be getting to the float, getting, you know, faking him out, going around to the side, using the rim as a defender. You know, he does a lot. That's his elite skill. His elite skill is his finishing. And as a two guard in this league, you have to be able to either shoot that thing. Like, you know, buddy healed is going to have a 12 year career just because he literally, you know, he's going to shoot 40% from three every single year. And he's going to be okay on defense. He's going to be average to, he's just not, He's just not going to kill you every time. Yeah, that's going to be the thing, though, is the shooting. Yeah, and you know what? He's going to have 30, 40-point games once or twice a year, but we know what we're getting out of Buddy Heald, right? So if that's Buddy Heald, and he has a 12-year career, and he's going to start wherever he goes until he's 32, what does that mean for Cody Williams shooting? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It's 45.7% from three. Mm-hmm. And then Much if you look... volume, yeah. Well, it's because he gets to the rim so much. Because he's yeah. so good and he's able to get to the rim, he doesn't have to settle. And the Colorado coach is big on him not settling. Doesn't he? He says to him, I, "I don't need you to settle. I need you to get to your elite skill." Right? And the NBA is going to be the same thing. But if you can shoot forty five percent, even on lower volume, you're a threat. And now it's it's your it's your curveball setting up your fastball at that point, right? Yeah. And at that point, you're like, "Whoa!" Now the biggest question mark I have: he only shoots seventy from the line. So I obviously, if he's going to keep those three-point shooting numbers up, you think the, that free throw percentage rate is going to have to come up a little bit. So even if he honestly, even if he shoots thirty-eight percent, thirty-seven percent, all he needs to be is average. He'll be all he can be all NBA at thirty-seven percent because he's going to get to the rim so much that it's it's gonna it's going to offset any at any point. People, are, he's going to be on Sports Center. He's going to be on all these highlight places. All these high, people saying, "Oh, Cody, you know, Cody Williams is him," and you know all that stuff and. It's going to be great, but he can also make the right uh, decisions when he gets to the paint. You've seen, I've seen glimpses of it, they, you know, with De Silva and those guys. Like they don't have a true, like really good big right in the dunker spot. True, who's, yeah. who, who who can finish at an NBA level above but, the rim? Yeah, because Eddie Lamb sure. is much more post up, push guys yes. around, finish with a hook shot than a. It, well, a he he needs it. space to operate. I'm talking about you get downhill, you get into the paint to the X in front of the rim, and that guy who sit in the NBA, you have big sitting in the dunker spot all day, mm-hmm. and they're elite finishers at the dunker spot. They catch with the hook, they catch one dribble dunk, whatever that is, right? Or they go baseline and get the reverse. So if you put a guy like that with him, oh my gosh, he's going to see him all day. Once and once he gets about a year, year and a half into this thing, if he's even remotely as smart as his brother, on the basketball IQ and he thinks the game the way I think he's going to, I can't, I, I don't see how you're going to stop the guy offensively. And then defensively he's not a minus. 
I mean, he's no, not yeah, great. He's, he's yeah. not. A, he, he's just average. That's all mm-hmm. you need to be because they can find guys who are elite wing defenders to let you go to to your elite skill, which is getting to the rim. It is, you know, there's an old adage that they pay million. They pay you know tens of millions of dollars for guys to. They pay guys tens of million dollars to stop them from getting to the front of the rim. They pay guys hundreds of millions of dollars to get to the rim, mm-hmm. right? So. That right there tells you everything you need to know about where the NBA is at. Downhill guard keeps people honest with the three. Elite finishing, elite finishing. Yeah. And he sees the dump off and he sees the corner three if they collapse on him. So now you're getting the paint touch to the kick out. I'm telling you, this Cody has a bright future as long as he can get stronger and he can avoid injuries. If he does those two things, you might have you might have a, a, a you'll at least have a core player. On your team. Sure. Yeah. So he, you mentioned the elite finishing and you stressed elite. He is 73.2% at the rim in the half court this season, which is not uh, a number. He's going, he's <laughs> going against three guys. Mm-hmm. Literally, yeah. when he gets into the pain, he's shooting it over three guys. Yep. If he that's had like a dunker, Lampkin too, it's like that, that's a guy that you can just kind of abandon because he's not going to finish over the top. Like you're not, you can't lob it to him. So there's always a big defender in the paint. Every exactly. Time. So we have to take that into accountability. Elite and in, and in college, like it's kind of skewed because if you're at Niagara and you're an elite finisher at the rim, odds are you're not facing six, eight, you know, seven footers at Arizona. And Arizona has a seven footer. I'm just using Arizona as an example. They yeah, have seven footers in the whole game. Yeah, it's the whole game. Smart. And when you don't have that dunker or the, you know, the, the big in the dunker spot who can finish, the bigs understand I can cheat a little more to this guy. You know, and they do a good job. Like you, if you watch any of these Pac-12 teams, rest in peace, Pac-12. But like these guys collapse on him as soon as he gets into the lane, and he's shooting over one guy, two guy, three. Like they're all in him. So when I say elite, I'm looking at it from a film standpoint. I can see where he goes, and when he is one on one with the big, it's going to be really hard to stop him. It's going to be really, really hard to stop him if you have that guy in the dunker. And just think if he's playing with. Uh, um, uh, a guy like um, uh, Kavon Looney or a, a prime Clint, Cabe- uh, Clint Capella. Sure. Yep. It's going to be really hard for people to stop him. And I think at the NBA level, that is an elite skill he has, and he's going to continue to have because the space is wider and those bigs are way more skilled. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So let's, let's take a quick break. We're going to be back on the other side and we're going to talk some Jacoby Walter. We're going to talk some Zachary Reese and we're going to talk some Tyler Smith as well. So stay with us. All right. So Jacoby Walter was another name that you had mentioned that, that you, a guy you're really high on. Um, I was, I was kind of right there with you. I thought statistically a lot of this stuff looked very similar, especially early in the year. Uh, to what a guy like Devin Vassell looked like, what a guy like Desmond Bain looked mm-hmm. like in college. There are yeah. still some of those similarities, unfortunately, with Baylor. And I think we saw it with Keontae George last year. It can be a little tough to evaluate these guys because they always have table setters, but there's always like one guy who is like the grenade guy where it's like, yeah. you're just the guy who's like when there's six, seven seconds left on the shot clock, like there's one guy that we just give the ball to who needs to figure out how to score. And last year was Keontae George. This year, it seems like that's Jacoby Walter. The percentages have taken a little bit of a dip uh, for that reason. I think in a different context, it might look better. Uh, but 6'4", six, 6'5", six, shooting guard, long arms, uh, solid defender, getting better and better as a passer as the year goes along. Um, 
what do you see in Jacoby Walter that has you so excited for for what he's going to do at the NBA level? That's I, th- I want to commend you on that. I think that's a re- actually a really good um, assessment of Baylor right now, right? Is that I don't want to say he's playing out of position, mm-hmm. but he's doing things that he hasn't had to do a lot of against high-level defenders. The Big 12 is stacked with defenders this year. I mean, it is stacked. And, I mean, I was watching the Houston game. I was on on uh, X, if you guys follow me. I was locked into Houston. I mean, that was an amazing game. Absolutely amazing game if anybody got to watch it. But you saw there were there are good and bad with Jacoby. And the biggest thing, if you look at, if you're a stat person, the shooting has been not what you thought it would be. You know, when I sat down and talked with him earlier this year in preseason, you know, he was asking me, well, what do you think I need to do at the NBA level? And I kind of told him, I said, you know, you can shoot that thing and you can really get downhill sometimes by using your shot to set up your drive. And I said, your passing is not really good. I mean, if you look at his film from, you know, high school and EYBL or I mean, um, any type of spring ball he had for like, you know, two years, um, he doesn't hit the pocket pass very well, if often at all. It's almost as if, he didn't trust it or he didn't want to see it. I don't know which one it was, right? And I told him that. I said, it's, you know, your pocket passes are not clean. You rarely see the big. Also, you miss the swing, swing half the time. Like, you're so locked in on what you're doing that you're not setting yourself up for the next possession because if you, now it's a pass fake to a shot, the whole defense move because, you know, it's things like that. And I've actually, been, I think he, and again, I'm not taking credit for it at all. I'm just telling you what he, the conversation sure, we had, sure. but he has gotten a lot better with that. And, you know, one thing in the Houston um, game that I was actually disappointed about was I don't feel like he wanted the ball. It was more Ray J that was being the guy that was getting to the paint. And Houston did a good job. Their their game plan was get Jacoby off the ball and don't let him get it back. Right. And that's, you know, that they did a pretty good job. Of that. I mean, still, had, he still had a really good game from last, you know, what I remember. It's like 23, mm-hmm. I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like he had a bad game or anything like that, but the shooting has been disappointing. I feel like if he was Cody Williams at 42, you know, 43 and Cody Williams at what? 45. I I think we're talking him as the potential one. And when I did the podcast with, um, Corey and them earlier, you know, his shooting was much, was a little bit better. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling with him. You know, I almost had, I had him at number one for, for a, a sense of it because I was like, man, if there's anybody else, I can at least know he's a sure three point shooter with upside. Right. Yep. And with this shooting, I'm a little worried, but again, he shoot, I think he's shooting like 85, 86% from the free throw line. So yeah, it's 85. not like, yeah, is it 85? Yeah. So it's, yep. it's, it's not like, I just think it's more or less, he's trying to s- expand his game and rather than just going back to what he's really elite at, I think he's been trying to play make a little more. I think he's been trying to get into the paint a little more to show he can drive and, you know, he can get in the paint and make the right decisions. And he made a couple passes to Missy that he hadn't been making earlier in the year. And um, so I, I'm a big fan. I think he's a better buddy healed. Um, sure. yeah. I Because I think he's a better defender. He has, he has heavy feet and he's not great laterally, but he's better than buddy was. Um, I don't yeah. know that he's yeah. is as as explosive as Buddy was in college because Buddy was explosive. I mean, he was just you know he scored fifty and all that. But I think at the NBA level, that's what you're getting a better Buddy Heald who can actually like defend a little, oh, probably a lot better, and yeah. probably tag and close out way, way, way better. Yeah, I think the tools and instincts are. I think the instincts are a lot better than Buddy's for sure. 
And I, I just think the tools are solid. Like his arms are long. He's a pretty physical yeah. kid too, for the most part. So like you said, like feet a little bit heavy, but it's not like he's, you know, stuck in the mud out there and, and he's, he's got some strength to him, got some length. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a really good assessment of him. And I, I think it's also worth noting too, like looking at the shooting numbers, 23.1% on pull-up threes this year, which is just not going to be something he's asked to do much out of the gate. Like it's just no. not, it's not going to be as much like, time to bail us out and, and get us a bucket late in the shot clock. Like he, he can pull up, like he's, he's a solid mid range pull up shooter. Uh, and I think that's something that, that you can count on being there for him in time, but I think it's going to be a lot more off screen spotting up kind of actions out of the gate. And I, and I trust that with his game. Um, let's talk uh, Zachary Reese. Um, he is, big and can really shoot the ball and can defend which are uh very important skills in the modern game of basketball and with some of these teams that we talked about especially at the top i think about a team like detroit where they've just had a lot of roster kind of fit issues over the years a team like washington that uh for a long time was was kind of dealing with spacing problems a guy like reese where we're looking at a guy that is you know six foot nine six foot ten 45 percent three-point shooter on good volume good defender uh there's there's just a really solid baseline there i think he's also gotten a lot better at playing through physicality driving to the basket and things like that over the last calendar year um what are what are you seeing with him so far this year i agree on all that i love him uh the more and more i've watched him and i've gotten to learn about who he is and where he comes from you know his dad was a pro too so it's it's not like he's coming from nowhere like it's I know in America, sometimes we get lost because there's just a lot going on here in America with college basketball and the pros. And then obviously the prep scene has really grown over the last three years because of social media and all that. But there's a lot of there's that second generation now happening overseas where pro players stayed in the country they were in or this, you know, went to the one next to it. And they're having their kids now and their kids have grown up. Right. Mm-hmm. And um Really, it's 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 a little later than the Americans because if you remember, the NBA started really becoming international with Manu, um, uh, well Sabonis and then Manu. You know, those yep. are like the main guys Parker, that came over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've had some other guys that were role players, whatnot, but the big ones were you know Sabonis and um, Sabonis Senior for the young people listening. Not not Domas. <laughs> oh, Domas is his that. son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the younger guys, but yeah. uh, his dad. W- I think I was in high school when he came, you know, when he came over. Amazing. He was past his prime. If he had come in his prime, we might be talking to him as maybe the greatest player ever by the time he was done with it. I'm not being I'm not kidding. Go back and watch him. He he was he was beyond Jokic um, at that point. So he comes from a basketball family. He's been bred to play basketball. He knows how to play. And he's he's better than his dad was. His dad was a, a pro A in Spain. You know what I mean? Like. He played in Spain and had a good career, and he played in a couple places and whatnot, but he's been bred to play basketball by the French national team, um, by now the guys that have kind of got a hang on him from America. And um, I've actually talked to a couple people in the last few days just about who he is and his work ethic and like who, you know, how he is. And that that counts. That's a yeah. that really counts. And I'm watching him and I'm and I'm not trying to make the French connection there, but he plays an awfully like he he could be Nick Batum better. Yeah. And Nick Batum yeah. is really a, like if people go back to when Nick Batum in his prime, I mean he was arguably one of the best best, you know, wings in in especially defensively. And then once he developed his shot, it was a game changer for him. He could be better than him because he does put it on the floor some. He does get to the rim some. 
but he's like a five tool player. Like he's everything you want. He's got size. He's got length. He's got good athleticism. He sees the floor. He shoots it well enough. He finishes well enough. Like he can guard all five positions. You can switch one through five with him and, and feel pretty good about it at the NBA level. It's probably going to take him a year or two. Cause he's got to get stronger. If he's going to switch onto the fives that are in this league, cause they're tall, athletic and mobile. Right. So he's going to have to probably get a little bit stronger with them. But if you talk about a guy who has the potential to really change a team's culture and the way that they play, it's him. And if I'm San Antonio at one, I don't even blink. I'm taking him one, not even a question. So, yeah. So this is the other thing I want to kind of follow up with you on, because it's something that I've been trying to get a gauge on. And and with just kind of your experience, I'd be interested to pick your brain on it. Um, one comp I've heard for him is is Franz Wagner. Now, Franz sure. wasn't kind of like touted as a number one pick coming out, um, but he was, uh, I guess, similar in terms of like just physical dimensions. I think Reese Shea is probably ahead as a shooter at the same age. He's Franz, bigger than him too. Yeah, and then I think Franz uh, was probably much more of a ready-made playmaker by the time he came into the league. With Reese Shea, that's the one thing that I'm like kind of trying to get a gauge for is he he really plays within the flow of the offense there because he is on a pro team. So we're talking about a guy that's not really in a position to just say, Hey, I'm going to take it over. I'm going to run a bunch of pick and rolls. I'm going to call him for myself and, and see where it goes. Right. He's, you know, a little below water assisted turnover wise, but a guy who doesn't really get to do a whole lot with the ball. Like what do you buy that coming along for him uh, in the future? Given that like the shooting is there, he's not like a poor decision maker. His handle isn't, bad but it's probably not like he's he's not reading the floor or putting it on the deck the way like a franz was so to get to that like game-changing level uh that we're sort of talking about like do you think that that's attainable for him or do you think that's something that like maybe you just really hope it happens but you're not betting on it well i think it's important to be elite at one or two things and be league average at the others or right above leave at league average rather than trying to be Really, really good at everything, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's where, like, that's why I use the Batum thing because Batum sure. realized I'm good at two things, right? Mm-hmm. I could be really good at two, and then my playmaking. They start as he got older, and he saw you know ten thousand, twelve thousand pick and rolls. Mm-hmm. He started to read them a lot better, right? I mean, people could argue in Charlotte he was their their main playmaker, right? Like you could argue that. Um, so that's why I think he has to take more of a Batum route because. Just find the two things that you're elite at. And that's why I think San Antonio is really good for them because they're going to let it play out and they're going to work on stuff and put you in, in this box to start and then work your way out of the box as you get better and your elite skills will you know, ultimately come out. And um, that's why I like him so much because I think three or four of his things could ultimately be elite, whether that's his defensive prowess and his shooting, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, worst case for him, right? In my opinion. He becomes a three and D guy. Like that's yeah. that's that's the worst case. And at, that at, at height, six like nine six make, ten, yeah, you're and Nick Batum. Yeah, at that you're size, Nick Batum. Minimum a hundred a hundred mil on the second contract. You know what I mean? Like I mean, that's, and in this draft, in this yeah. draft, it counts. If it was next year, I'd say you know he's. Uh, I could probably take Flag or Ace Bailey, and I'm going to have way higher ceiling because this kid's going to be good. He could be an all star. Like he literally could be an all star. You know, I, but in next year or the year after draft, when you have Darren Peterson and Koa Pete and all these other guys, right, that are are, are probably going to be more high level than him. But in this draft, in this specific one, if I'm if I'm Detroit or I'm San Antonio, I don't I'm not even thinking about 
anyone else, just personally. Yeah. Because the, 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 the ceiling is so high. And especially if it's San Antonio, like there's not a per- it was like Wemby last year. There's not a more perfect place for him to develop than there with Wemby. He has a rim protector. He has a generational talent guy who changes the game. He'll, he can walk in day one and not have to be the man. And he yeah. can find himself and he can find his role. Like Devin Vassell's not going to stop him from, you know, finding out who he is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so there to me, I, although I know, you know, like Topic is also very good. And that might be somebody San Antonio goes after because they need a point guard, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But but for me, the talent, the size, the background, he's a generational, you know, professional player. It's hard for me to pass this up. I'll just be honest. It's, and I was thinking this earlier in the year. I had him at three the whole year so far. And now I'm I'm sitting here going, now that things have kind of shaken out and Jacoby Walters kind of gone down a little bit, not a ton, just a little bit. And Cody Williams is pretty much where I thought he would be in yeah. terms of you know where he's at. And, and obviously, you know how I feel about Sar. Mm-hmm. And I just think that if there's a kid who has the ceiling with the with the intangibles, and the physical tools that go with it, it's hard for me to pass this guy up. And if he, you know what, if he blows up, he blows up. I'll take the risk of losing yeah. my job in two and a half years because he doesn't pan out. I'll, I'll yeah. take the risk on this kid. That makes more than enough sense. I think that's spot on. Uh, let's Charlotte. About- Sorry, real yeah, quick. Well, Just think about Charlotte. Yeah, Just think if it was Charlotte, like how do you not? I mean, yeah, Sar would fit great in Charlotte. They got LaMelo, they got Miller. But your whole lineup then, you have a 6'5 point guard a six eight three two and you have a six ten three four yeah we'll go we'll go find some cheap bigs man we can we or we can trade back in and get messy at mm-hmm. 20 you know what well, i mean like even, even it, with mark williams it's like i mean you're giving sh- that guy all the yes. space in the world that you need to be a lob target with that much yeah. shooting around him and if mark williams can't figure it out with those three then see you, you later man i mean it's I, I like i like you mark but come on man you got all that talent let's use it here yeah yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, let's go to Tyler Smith real quick. He's the guy that I wrote about this week. My daughter's attempting to make a cameo right now, so we'll see if she pops That's up. Okay. But, uh, we all, so we've Smith all been is, there. Yeah, so Tyler Smith is the guy that I wrote about this week. Um, he is a very interesting player on G League Ignite. He is uh, six foot 10, six foot 11. He is a real deal three-point shooter, uh, shooting 39% from three on the year. Uh, but also a, uh, an effective finisher, really good off-ball cutter, really good as a role man. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing I just keep coming back to with him is is how he's shooting his threes, the fact that he's a guy who uh, uh, can be just a minute. All right, sorry about that. Uh, so It's okay, um, we've all been there. Yeah, so with, with Smith... Um, He's a 39% three-point shooter in the G League, shooting from the NBA line at 19 years old, who is moving into his shots off the pop, moving into his shots off of screens, hitting him in transition. Like, just everything that he's going to be asked to do as a trailer, as a pop man, like, that is all there as a three-point shooter already. Even if it, even if you just want to, like, park him in the corner, he can do that. But there's a little bit more functionality. Um, really good downhill as a roll man effective as a cutter. Also, just a smart decision maker. Like, think about how many 6'10", 6'11", guys that you see in college that are negative on the assist to turnover front and he's positive and he's doing it in the G league on a team with not a lot of structure, not an effective role man, big, not an effective point guard to get the offense going. Like it's just a lot of chaos. And the fact that even within that he's proven himself to be a solid decision maker, I think is impressive. 
Um, the defense is, is a little hit or miss. I wish he played guys tighter on the perimeter. He has some missed rotations, but the flashes are there. The tools are there. He's strong. When he sits down in his stance, I like how he guards guys on the perimeter. And he's had this really hot stretch late in the year. And I think the shot blocking has come along too. Like it just seems like late in the year, he's getting more and more comfortable. He's getting better and better. Um, and we are now at a point where I'm just looking at this guy and I see safety and the fact that he's 6'10", 6'11", with an NBA body and the fact that he's a flamethrower from the three-point line. I can trust him to move the ball, even if he's not, you know, a point forward or anything like that. Um, and I, I get excited about the ceiling. And I started to just look at some guys that were statistically similar pre-draft. And a guy that came up was actually Lowry Markinen. And I looked at some of the Lowry film. And Tyler Smith's big issue is that, like, if you chase him off the line, right now he's a little upright with the ball. The handle kind of stinks. Uh, you know, he drives into guys super upright and isn't a good finisher when it's him attacking in a straight line. And he likes to go in one direction every single time. I look up Lowry Markinen's numbers on Synergy look at the film on synergy he had the exact same problem it was all driving in one direction driving too upright not being as explosive at the rim as his physical tools indicate he should be i was having deja vu watching the larry <laughs> market in college film when i went into it for this article i really like tyler smith i like the floor i love the upside a lot of times i do these deep dives on guys and i because I'm, I'm just watching a ton of their film and by the end of it i'm like ah man like I'm just looking at all the flaws and Tyler Smith. I couldn't help but get really excited. I, I see him as a lottery pick. Is that is that nuts or do you do you kind of view him in a similar light? No, sometimes simple is better. Like yeah. I think sometimes we get all of us. I've done it too. I'm guilty. We get caught up in all the athleticism and all the things people do, and then what they can do. And like sometimes the easiest, like the easiest thing is right in front of our face. That what we need to do, mm -hmm. right? And his efficiency is so good. Mm -hmm. He's really impressed me. And if you look like when Holland's been out, I don't, I'm not, I haven't looked up the numbers, but I've been watching the film on it, right? Yeah. I didn't look up the numbers, see what the exact splits difference is and whatnot. But with Holland off the floor, he's actually a lot better, in my opinion, mm -hmm. just from the film I was watching on him, you know, as we were getting ready for this. I haven't, because I hadn't watched him a ton. I went and saw the Ignite earlier this year in person. Uh, he was okay. I didn't feel like he did great. Um, but after we talked, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, whatever it was, you know, I went back and I've been watching him for about nine days. I've been trying to get some games in of his. And then obviously just, you know, in the past, what he was doing as, as their season's winding down. And it's boring, but it's good. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. And it's, mm -hmm. I'm very, I'm very impressed with him. That role is exactly who he'd be at the next level. And if he is a true 6'11", like I start thinking about guys who play that type of way or who who played, right? And I think like Channing Fry. Yeah. And I think of yeah. guys like, man, Channing, such a smart player, literally decided I'm going to be the best three point shooting big ever. That's what his you know his mindset mm -hmm. was. Obviously, he didn't you know he was he was really good though, yeah. right? And he just said I'm just going to be this is who I am, and I'm going to help defend the rim, and I'm going to just be okay in drop and I in. in against pick and rolls and I'm going to shoot the lights out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make LeBron's life easy. I'm going to make whoever, you know, in Phoenix, I was going to, I, did he play with Nash? I think he did. Yeah, if he went out, it was yeah, Goran Dragic. Yeah, it was Dragic and them. Like, I'm just going to make their life totally easy because my guy's going to have to decide, does he want to come out on me and I shoot 44% from the top of the key? 
or does he want to keep going, you know, or does he want to play on me? And now I have Goran Dragic, one of the best downhill lefties ever, you know, in his prime, like getting right to the rim. Like it's going to be really hard to defend. And it like the fact that he's keeping it simple and he's not trying to like show us all his game and, you know, post up and fade away Kobe style and all that like stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually appreciate that because I so many too. young bigs, so many young bigs, like there's guys in high school or six eleven, six ten that I've watched. And they're like, oh, I got to show what I got. I got to show the league what I got. I got to show colleges what I got. When really, most of us just want you to be six eleven and yeah, shoot threes if you're open and protect the rim and run the floor and be six eleven. Like yeah, yeah, be your advantage, right, and be your length. And I I, I appreciate like. And, I, and by the way, he's not a minus athletically or oh, like good if you yeah. if you watch his rotations, he's actually he's a little slow because he doesn't especially earlier in the year. He was a little slow because he was getting used to the speed of the game and he was mm-hmm. trying to like, you know, you could tell he was a step behind, but he was trying to catch up. And as the year's gone on, he's starting to slowly get there. Right. Yep. And that will be his big thing in the NBA. Can he protect the rim? Because I, I think his shooting's fine. I, he shoots yep. it deep, too, sometimes like he's yep. shooting it a foot you know, behind the three point line on some point. So, um, yeah, I like him. Is he a lottery pick? I think with the right team. Yes. I think, I I think if there's a team at 12, 13 that, you know, even, even 11, maybe, maybe he has a great, you know, maybe he has great workouts. Mm -hmm. Maybe he, you know, there, there are falling in love with guys, a real thing. And, you know, what if he goes to a workout in Memphis, I'm just making it up, you know, and what if it's Memphis and he shoots, you know, they have him shoot 200 shots and he makes a hundred and, 55 of them like they're gonna go oh my god that's our guy you know because he can play with, he could play with jackson like he he can play with you know what i'm saying like yep. he can play with those other guys um gg would you know his, his minutes probably go down a little bit but again i'm, I'm just using memphis as an example because they may be down there i mean there's teams out there that can use this and the cool thing is like he doesn't he doesn't have like a super high usage in terms of like demanding the ball and having to do all that like who doesn't want a 611 guy who's learning to play defense and getting better can protect the rim. Fine. As long as he's an average rim protector, but if he's shooting 44 from three, like, and especially 44 on pick and pops, like on any part of the floor, like top of the key for the wings, you know, they can, that means you can run all types of sets. You can run horn sets. You can run floppy sets. You know, you can run all the zipper sets. You can run all of this with him because you can screen the screener and he's pop. He's wide open. You know what I mean? No matter how you mask it, you just screen the screen or he's the initial screen. You screen the other guy and boom, you're there. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan. I'm yeah. a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm again, another guy I'm really happy for. Cause I, I didn't even notice him on the floor in terms of like when I was there, I knew he was, I knew he was there, but like he wasn't playing very well. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think like the screen, the screener stuff that you mentioned is like super functional for him too. And it's something that they've done too, where they set it up. Like it's going to make an elevator screen, but then he just yeah. cuts back to the rim and it's a lob. Like there's all sorts of stuff that you can do because of that shooting gravity. Guys don't want him to get open on the perimeter and you can use that to just get back inside and be a lob target. Like there's, right. there's so many ways that they can just set him up easily because he's such a good three point shooter. Um, yeah. That it's and like, you mentioned like, yeah, some of those like chanting fry kind of guys, like something I said in the article, is it like, there's some solid boring outcomes for him. Like if he's close to like what Bobby Portis was, who was a six man on title team, he's coming in like taller and a better shooter than Trey Lyles. Who's a 20 minute per game guy on a playoff team. Like he's, there's, he's, he's better than Trey Lyles exactly. right now. Yeah. Like there's all these guys that it's like, yeah, well, I, I think he's going to be better than that guy. So like, if you're generally looking at how drafts tend to pan out, like, yeah, usually those guys end up being guys that 
in a redraft would go around 14, 15. And like, I, I think he's better than they were coming into the draft. So uh, he's a guy that I think has kind of been underrated a little bit uh, heading into the draft. So we're going to take one more break and we're going to talk some sleepers on the other side. So stick with us. All right. So we're going to go a little bit quicker through these here. One guy I wanted to touch on uh, is Coleman Hawkins at, at Illinois. He's a guy who has been really sort of up and down, a little bit erratic uh, over the past years. I think I, I said he was like an erratic Boris Dia at one point a couple of years ago. But part of what made Boris Dia Boris Dia was that there was a level of consistency and solid decision-making and things like that, where Coleman Hawkins at 6'10", uh, could get really out of control. This turnovers at times would take really bad threes this year. The shot looks a lot better. He's taken almost five threes a game, 39% really positive assist to turnover ratio for the first time in his career where he's like just firmly above board. And that respect, the defense is the best it's ever been. He's gotten a little bit stronger. It seems like he just is not in the conversation much. And I, I get it. If people have looked at, Past tape, or they said, hey, you know, he had that really weird, bad start to this year. He's still really up and down at times. Like, I, I get it, but at a certain point in the second round, I see a guy who's six foot ten, can defend multiple positions, can really do some stuff with the ball, and is hitting a shot. And like, yeah, I, I like you're you got to take the good with the bad to a degree. I, I kind of like him in that range. Uh, so, so what are your what are your Coleman Hawkins thoughts if if you have any? So he's a little flawed, right? I yeah. mean, my the. I appreciate the shooting, um, like you said. And also, you know, he's shooting 80% from the line. Mm -hmm. So it's a drastic change from the last three years where he's been in the mid-60s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so you're seeing, I'd like to see him get to the free throw line more, though, right? As a big, you want to kind of, especially in this NBA, you have to learn how to manipulate the refs and get to the line more. And that's a lot of what the, if you look at really the majority of the, top 10 scorers they all get to the free throw line a lot because they manipulate the refs right you've heard i'm sure a lot of coaches in front of you talk about this and stuff yep. so what i would i appreciate his growth but a big thing is the rebounding mm -hmm. you are 610 man and six rebounds a game at 610 611 is not going to get it done and it makes me think he's 68 it makes me think he's 69 um, I would like to see him at the, I'm sure he'll be at the combine or Portsmouth or, or something yeah. where we can get his measurables. Right. And his, his, if you actually look, you, you mentioned his assist turnover ratio, which mm -hmm. it's actually not that different from last year. He's just turning it over less. Yeah. So it's not that he's, I don't think he's become a more less, you know, less efficient player, less, um, a player who has gotten so much better in that aspect. I just think he stopped. Yeah. yeah. I just think he stopped turning it over. I think, you know, I bet you the coaching staff literally said to him, Hey man, stop turning it over so much because that's a lot for a big, like two plus for, for a big, that's a lot unless you're Kevin Durant or, you know, like somebody who's a big, like Giannis, who's big, but they're really not, you know, they're not a big like that. Um, you know, you could take a shot on him in the second, in mid second, uh, it would depend, you know, I've always said, you know, I, I'm the, in this new CBA, there's really three types of guys you draft in the second round, right? One are guys you want to take a shot on. Two are the guys who want to bet on themselves and not take two ways. And the third one is people who take two ways, right? Yeah. That's really yeah. the, that's really the three, 
groupings of second round guys. It's not really about talent or anything like that. It's literal. Do I like this player enough to give him guaranteed money? If I don't, will he take a two way? And if he and if he doesn't, he wants to go Kenrich Williams and and bet on himself on a yeah. camp contract. Those are my three options now. I I don't really see there might be a couple outliers in there and whatnot, but really that's the second round now. So if he's willing to take a, I bet you if he's willing to take a two way, I guarantee you there's going to be three teams that'll take him forty two to sure fifty. You know yeah. if they want to get the two ways out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, solid player. I think he had thirty yesterday. Now that I remember, he did, or, yeah. didn't he have thirty something he like that? A real bad game, and then he bounced back with thirty yesterday. Yeah, he also matches up really well with Iowa. Let's let's mm-hmm. call it what it is. His his size is and his offensive skill really is good, but. You know, I appreciate the big thing for me is the improvement on the free throw percentage. Um, it's up 15 points. So that's a huge jump. Like that's I, I know it may not sound like a lot because we're, we're here just talking numbers and it's you and me and, you know, everybody listening. And but 15 percentage points on free throws is a lot. That is a lot. Massive. So just the percentage alone helps. Um, but solid guy. If, if he, re, you know, if he rebounded at eight, nine, I'd probably be like for sure he can go thirty nine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. he doesn't. He, I mean, Kenrich. And I'm just, I was. That's why I brought Kenrich up because I was thinking outside the box there. But Kenrich was six, seven and a half, six eight. But he, he was the best rebounder in all of college basketball. And again, that's skewed sometimes because you know the non-conference games and whatnot. Like it can get skewed, right? But it was consistent across the board once you got into Big Twelve play with him uh, over the years. Like it wasn't just like this little pool of ten games. It was like Big Twelve for his career, and that is. That's huge, right? And with him, I mean, he's in the Big Ten. It's not like it's a bunch of you know guys who don't know how to play basketball. Like this is a this is a hard conference, and the and I think he just hangs out too much from when I've watched him. Yeah, yeah. He hangs out too much, and like when you hang out too much, you miss offensive rebounding opportunities, and that's probably where he's why he's not getting seven eight. I don't see like if he wasn't hanging out behind the three point line or hanging out not crashing or whatever that is, like he probably could get that one extra, two extra rebounds a game offensively. That would probably change. Literally, it could change his whole whole draft positioning mm-hmm. in this draft. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, another guy that we talked about uh, is Jalen Bridges at Baylor. Um, just a, a real solid kind of 3 and D option. Uh, Three-point percentage and three-point volume both uh, looking really good compared to where they were a year ago, taking about five threes a game, 39.4%. Athletic, uh, make some work on the offensive glass uh, for sure, and just a solid like move the ball decision maker who's shown a little bit more as far as putting it on the ground. Um, another guy I kind of like in that second round range. Usage isn't the highest because of the role, uh, like we yeah. talked about all the guards they've got on their team earlier. But what's your uh, what's your temperature with him? Solid player. I like that he doesn't need the ball in his hands and he still plays defense. I yeah. think that's. Sometimes you get these guys that aren't mature enough to understand that if I'm not shooting it and I'm not making it, I can't play defense. And I don't know that I've seen him really do that. Like he's had some games where he missed a lot of a lot of shots and he still goes out and plays really solid defense. Mm-hmm. And that is a big plus for me. Now, does he ultimately play in the NBA? I think he's going to get a shot. Um I think he'll get a shot whether that's a two-way or whether that's a uh you know 10 day or maybe and maybe even a camp contract. Maybe someone really likes, you know, his size, which he has good size um, for his position. He shoots it well enough. What is he? He's at 40% this year. He's at 38 for his career. Um, 
free throw percentage at 88. Like those are, those are base Martin. Like we're just, if you, I, I'm sure you and I could do an advanced on all of these guys yeah, and we yeah. could really dig in, but obviously we don't have all the time, but mm-hmm. just trying to give some baselines of, you know, and then uh, you know, against Houston, I think he had like 15 or 17. Like yeah. he played he, and he made tough shots. If you watched, mm-hmm. he was in the corner, like the guys closing out hard on him and he's, He's catching that thing and shooting. So that's his elite skill is his shooting. Can he do it at the NBA level? I think he can. Um, if there's a guy in this draft that could sneak up on people and in three years we're looking back like, oh, man, how come we didn't see him? Yeah, it yeah. could be. It could be bridges from the sense of he is shooting it at 40 percent and he's just shooting that thing and he's playing really just really solid defense and. There, there, there's too many teams that need shooting at that position and that size. Yeah. And where he's not a negative, he's not net negative on defense at the NBA level that you would take shots on him. Like Oklahoma city would take a shot on Jalen bridges. I think totally San Antonio would take a shot at Jalen bridges. Like the good, I shouldn't say good, but like the teams that focus on that aspect and that development, I think, I think they're going to, someone's going to give him a shot just because of that size, that positional size, and the fact that he can shoot it at 40%. Sure. Uh, so someone who was a teammate of his last year that is now elsewhere is LJ Cryer at Houston. He's a guy that, like, I, I feel like he hasn't gotten a lot of mainstream draft buzz, but it was someone that you brought up and, like, just quietly improved quite a bit at Houston this year. He's a small guard, but he's always been just this electric three-point shot maker. Um, and he's gotten better as a decision maker this year. And it also feels like he's just playing more defense in, in the games I've watched too. Like it just seems like there's a better effort level, a little bit more willingness to say, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot this one or just a little bit more sound decision-making. Like I, I, I'm not like sold on him because I still just see like small guard who isn't a great creator for others. And I, I, I don't know what the defense is going to look like, but electric scorer. Um, how, how are you feeling about Cryer at this stage? I don't know. I mean, LJ's about six one. Like, it's not like he's five ten. Sure. So it's it. But the problem in today's NBA, and again, I I'm I'm very like I think I think kind of the deal going to Houston was Kelvin said you need to play defense here. Like, Kelvin, mm-hmm. I, the thing I love about Coach Sanders, he's he demands effort in defense, right? He that's like a, that's just the start of it. If you don't want to do either of those things, see ya. Like we don't have time for yeah. you. And um, I think LJ's really done a good job of capitalizing. He plays hard all the time for the most part. There, um, his shooting is it's down a little bit this year, but I think it's because of the type of shots he's getting. Tough, and you know, the yeah. dude's a national cha- champion. Like he knows how to play. And I think ultimately, if you really look at it, like he's still averaging about the same amount of points, same amount of assists, same amount of rebounds, pretty much. Um, but his turnovers are way down, yeah. way it's almost one turnover less a game. So we, it, they're at point seven. That's amazing. That's amazing. So can he run your team at the NBA level? No, 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 no. That's not him. That's not him. He's a he's a at best. In the NBA, I, I think actually LJ is going to have a great career in Europe. Um, I think his game is actually it's going to fit really well in EuroLeague. And yeah. I think he's going to have a long career, and I think he's going to make a lot of money over there. He's probably going to make $30, $40 million by the time he's done yeah. with it, which is not a bad gig. Living a, yeah. If you guys have ever been to Partizan or Red Star, it's electric over there. It is electric. Basketball is life, right? And um, I don't know. I, I like him. I, I like the mm-hmm. fact that he can shoot. I, and I just like the fact that he's like mentally tough. 
yeah, like at yeah, that yeah. at that at that level, like at that at that size and that position, you're never going to be a lead guard because you're not pass first. So you're not really going to be initiating offenses. You have to have offenses to initiate for you, right? And I just I don't know if that's an NBA guard, but I do think he's going to be he could be a really good Euro guard, um, just from the fact that he can score pretty much from anywhere. Yeah. And even at his size, he's strong and he's smart and he'll get to his spots. Yeah. And I think in Europe too, like the size will be less of a factor. Like it'll just be easier to slide him into like an off guard type of role over there than it would be here. Um, let's close on a, a really hot name, Colin Murray Boyles at, at South Carolina. He's a guy that a lot of people are getting like just red, red hot for him. He has been kind of the biggest riser in the last couple of weeks. He's a six, seven freshman great offensive rebounder, really good feel as a passer, uh, moves his feet really well defensively, high block and steal percentages, feel is off the charts, physically strong, just does not shoot, does not shoot threes at all, uh, 65% uh, from the free throw line. I am a little bit more trepidatious with him just because it, it's six seven without the shot. Like I'm not totally seeing what the NBA role is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that if he comes back, he could just explode next year because of that combination of gifts. I, th- I just think like, Hey, you were sick to start this season. It, it took a lot away from me to take the off season, iron out that jumper and then go nuts next year. But I, I can understand why teams would maybe think that, Hey, well, if he comes in this year and it's a bad draft, maybe we get him early. Like I, how do you, how do you feel about this guy? Cause he's, he's been a really hot name in scouting circles. I mean, I like him. I like him a lot. If there's a, if there's a, gg jackson talent that can you know obviously he's not as talented as touted as gg was but mm-hmm. like a guy from the situation of like and gg had some off off court issues that you know kind of dropped him as well some immaturity things and whatnot um but you got to look at the upside of this right what's what's his what's his worst what's his in your opinion what's his worst case scenario I think, yeah, league. I think there's a chance that if like he doesn't shoot, that he is out of the league. Like I okay, I and, and if he shoots thirty two percent, is he still I think in if the he league? 32 percent, he's like a rotation player on a playoff team, like a like a good rotation player, possibly even a starter. So like a spot spot starter, best case scenario, like rotational like, guy overall. He'll have an eight year yeah. career playing four different teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think I think if he's thirty two percent, like we're kind of off to the races. Like, I think he's an extremely valuable player at that point. Yeah. I think, I think the intangible about him is like how hard he plays, but also Mm -hmm. like he feels the game really well and he thinks it, he doesn't try to be someone he's not. And I appreciate that about him. And like, Mm -hmm. if you actually look at the numbers, they're not pretty. Like you look like you're looking at him going, "Ah, I can't do this with guy who shoots what? 65 from the free throw line i think and like yep. he shoots 58 from the field so it's not bad but it's not great and he shot five threes i think it's five threes this year so yeah, like that it's hard to play in the nba with never shooting threes you got to be seven foot one and it's that's where i struggle with him now i do like his intangibles i think his you know and his build's great too long kid six eight six eight i long think six seven long. and a half yeah. like Strong, the physical, that's what everybody's getting excited about is he's getting results with his physical tools. And again, that goes back to if we talk, go all the way back to when we started, what can we control, right? We can't teach six, seven and a half, six, eight. We can't teach, you know, plus length. We can't teach athleticism. We can't do any of that. 
But what can we do in the NBA? Well, we can make sure that he shoots 200 threes every day. We can make sure that he runs a short roll and is able to hit the floater. We can make sure that um, if we're you know running X, X offense that he gets into his spot and we're going to shoot that shot 100 times a day, every day for 300 days or however long those guys are there, you know, 285 days. And over time, we're going to win the battle of the other guy who may have that skill now, but he doesn't have the athleticism, the length, and the body to go with it and could, and could never have the genetics to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why, and, and again, I think I'm trying to explain that because I think there's a lot of times people go back to past drafts and go, oh, they just picked this guy. I don't know what they're doing. Well, no, you're betting. Nobody knows ultimately who these guys are going to you know, end up yeah. being until you get to the league and whatnot. All you can do is your best is project and know what type of people they are. And if you know what type of person they are and they have some physical tools, because like, I hate to break it to everybody that's like listening, but Danny Ainge isn't dumb. Sam Presti's not <laughs> dumb. I hate to break yeah, it yeah. to you guys. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like Brad's not dumb. None of these guys are like, these guys have seen more basketball. No offense to anybody listening, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. they've seen more basketball than in, you know, they probably forgot more basketball than you know about. And, you know, they can go back and say, well, they didn't project out and he didn't know what he was doing and, it's, and this and that. And it's like, well, we never know. But what we can do is just do our best from what we've done, what we've seen be successful and then what can carry over that we think physically. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can control the development process. So, But if you go to a team that has no development process, well, Scary. you're up shit yeah. crick. I mean, excuse my language, but you're up oh, you're shit crick without a paddle. Yeah. And like and he can't like he couldn't go to the Hornets this year. Like if he yes. went to the Hornets yeah, yeah. in this, like you're asking for trouble because a, he plays the same position as a number two pick, but also like the development would be focused on LaMelo and Miller. And even though he might be the I don't know, eighth pick or whatever, like he's going to get, he's going to get fallen behind. And I'm not saying that because Charlotte has a bad development system. I'm just saying that their focus is somewhere else mm-hmm. and they need to put Brandon Miller is going to be more important to them than, than he will. So, um, and I think that's where I struggle is I don't want to take a guy who situationally might be good somewhere. It's going to be really, that means your odds just from a statistical standpoint, like probability are lower that he actually hits because you have to be the right place. And if you're not humble enough to be like, yeah, we're probably not the right place for him because we're a contender or we we're Memphis and we have dudes, we have a Western conference contending playing team when we're healthy well, if when Jaws back and everybody's back next year, like we're planning on being in the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals next year, like yeah. no offense, no offense to the kid, but like you're gonna have to kind of come along on your own because we got we got to worry about Bain, we got our main guy's the main guy. So that's why I think he he ultimately I think if he does come out, he'll probably measure really well and somebody will fall in love with him. But he's a twenty three to thirty for me, maybe even twenty you know twenty two to thirty five just yeah. because of the physical tools and what you can control. If he was putting these numbers up and he wasn't the physical person that he is, like just the way sure, he's sure. built, yeah. we wouldn't even be talking about him. No, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think he's really interesting. And I think your points are spot spot on. And I think especially too, like, even if you look at teams that have had some developmental success, like Houston has done a great job with Alper and Shingun, but if he goes to a team like Houston, they still have Jalen Green. They still have Amen Thompson. They still have Cam Whitmore. Like, there's just all these other guys. And, like, even at the NBA level, developmental resources are still finite. Like, they still 
only have so many people on a staff. They can only give so much individual attention to, to certain players that like, it's still, it's still tricky in a situation like that. Even if you can say, Hey, like this, this program has done a good job with these players. Like it's, it's going to take the right landing spot. I think if he comes out this year, where I think if he takes another year, he, he can kind of, if the shot gets there, he can kind of go anywhere. Conversely, there's also the gamble to that. If he comes back next year and the shot isn't there, then is there any interest at all? Or are people starting to say, Hey, this is more of like a, a guy like Dylan Mitchell, right? Like where last year people were really intrigued. Good name. It was back this year. The shot's not there. And now like that, nah, he's, he's just an athletic defender. And that's it. I'll just be honest with you. If I'm ever, I will never be an agent, but if I was, I would tell my guys, you're coming out. We're doing yeah. this like this. <laughs> well, I don't give, don't, don't give NBA teams a chance to, assess you more when you don't have to be assessed anymore sure it's yeah. like yeah so if i'm if i'm his agent i'm like we're going baby we're riding this train <laughs> i don't care where you go like if you heck if you go 33 you still get a guaranteed like it's cool man you know like it, it's great we're winning any way you go but there's more risk for him to stay rather than risk to go in my opinion that's interesting yeah i yeah. I, I think i, I think days. you just ride the train bro because these numbers make they do not look good so yeah. if i'm if i'm his agent if he has one yet i'm literally telling him go baby we're we're rolling we're this train's going do the best you can in workouts because i know the highest his value is going to be is now because right now he is not going to turn that field goal percentage up to 62 percent, and he is not even going to he better start shooting more threes and they better go in because if they don't probably going to Portsmouth in three years. Yeah. Yeah. So you go yeah. now and you like, don't let them assess you anymore. That's my opinion. Anyways. That's interesting. I like that. That's a good way to close it out. Uh, Dan Purcell. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on uh, X at uh, Dan P underscore NBA. Um, I believe that's my Insta handle too. Shit. I mean, heck it's probably <laughs> Absolutely. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much. You can follow me at found boards, follow no ceilings at no ceilings, NBA.com subscribe to the Substack uh, at no ceilings, NBA.com as well. And uh, yeah, make sure you're subscribed on our podcast platform, our YouTube channel, all that as well. We appreciate you all tuning in, especially the folks in the live chat. And we'll see you all again next week. Have a great night.